0: Lord, it just seems like we start out at times in our lives questioning, wondering, despairing, doubting, frustrated, maybe hurt, angry, feeling abandoned, and yet as we come to the end of the psalm, we come to a place of quiet resignation, surrender, confidence, trust, because we know that you're a God who hears our cry. You will answer our prayer, Father. And even though your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts, so Father, I pray today as we open up and unpackage your word, Father, that you will speak into the depths of our innermost being. And I pray today that this will actually be a sense of solace, comfort, and strength to those who are walking through this moment in their life that seems dark and and actually silent, and I just pray that you will speak clearly in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. A number of years ago, Erwin Lutzer, some of you might know who he is. He's Pastors Moody Memorial Church. I actually had him as a professor. Uh, years ago, I came up and did a uh, seminar in preaching, very good communicator. He wrote, He received a, a letter because he's on you know radio, and this letter comes back to him and he says, The letter says this, I'm a man, I'm 31 years of age and divorced, even though it's not what I wanted. I feel badly because I have no hope for the future. I often go home from church and cry, but there's no one there that seems to care. What hurts most of all is that I've begged you, Lord, for the grace to be single for your glory and to fix my eyes on Jesus, but I don't see a lot of change in my life. I continue to fail. I'm in a basket case emotionally. I feel like I'm on the verge of collapse. Something is dramatically wrong. I'm so crippled and embittered that I can scarcely relate to anyone anymore. I feel that I'll have to sit out the rest of my life in the penalty box. That's quite an interesting analogy. Feeling like, you know, God, you've set me aside. And, you know, there have been moments in our lives, and I'm sure in your life, there's been moments in my life where I've wondered if God was just shelving me, you know, not you know, just deciding to put me aside, not to do what you know I felt like he should be doing in my life. And so I think there's been moments in all of our lives, if we're really honest with ourselves, especially if we lived a little while, that we've experienced what the Bible terms the wilderness experience. We're in a dry place. We're in a desert place. I just met with someone yesterday, and they began to unpack where they're at in their lives, and I said, it sounds to me like you know, you're, you're, there's just such a deep loneliness and brokenness and desolation in your life. You're really in a wilderness. And they said, that's probably the best way to define what's happening in my life. So why does God allow us to be in those places? I mean, you know, some of us think, if God really loves me, why would he ever allow, you know, anyone to go into a wilderness experience? Why would God Allow these experiences in our lives, these, these places of loss, of loneliness, of abandonment, maybe a feeling of rejection, hurt, you know, where God's not seeming to answer my prayer. I feel like, you know, the heavens are as brass. Where is God in this mess? I could go on and on, and we could talk about all kinds of negative experiences in life. But everybody, are you kind of getting the picture of what I'm trying to describe this morning? And maybe some of you are going, Pastor, that's exactly where I'm at today. I'm just wondering myself, why Hasn't God heard my cry? You know, I read the psalm, Lord, will you forget me forever? Where are you in this mess, anyways? So, having said all of that, I want to just point out to you that Jesus himself was led into a wilderness. And if I'm going to be like Jesus, I will probably at some point in my life be led into a wilderness. Do you know, the wilderness quickly reminds us of our humanity. Isn't that the truth? You know, when you're in a wilderness experience, you begin to see your weaknesses ever so more clearly. You know, especially, you know, if we're blind to some of these things. And we begin to understand that we're very quite frail as human beings. We have, you know, challenges and struggles in our lives. And, you know, I'm going to say to all of us that, If you study the Bible very carefully, you'll find out that God has always led his servants into the wilderness. As a matter of fact, John the Baptist came out of the wilderness. Elijah was a man of the wilderness. We could just keep going down and down talking about all of these wilderness experiences. Uh, The nation of Israel literally came out of Egypt, and where did they end up? In a wilderness. And you know, if you read your Bible carefully, you'll find out that the road from Egypt to the promised land was about 11 days. And they ended up spending how many days in the wilderness? 40 years. We can't even calculate how many days. That just seemed like an endless thing. And I would even suggest to you this morning that our earthly journey is in some way a wilderness. Because God has something definitively greater for all of our lives. We're moving, folks, to a new land. We're moving to the promised land. We're going to move into our inheritance with God for all of eternity. And that's an awesome thing to note. And so why does God allow us these wilderness experiences? Well, it's interesting that... In the first three gospels, we have the story of Jesus in the wilderness. But to really understand his experience in the wilderness you have to go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8 because Deuteronomy chapter 8 is actually Israel in the wilderness and their failure and you know Matthew, Mark and Luke are actually Jesus story in the wilderness and his success. He actually overcomes in the wilderness and God wants us to be overcomers here today. It's not like God doesn't care about us. He does care about us but he's going to bring us through those experiences and so um, in Deuteronomy we find a fascinating explanation of why God allows wilderness experiences in our lives. Because some of you have been saying, why me? Right? You've been saying, why is this happening to me? Why, am I, why do I have to go through this experience, God? And you know what? God has heard your prayer. He's going to answer it today. He's going to give you an answer you, you may have overlooked this answer, but I'm just here to remind you of this answer found in the book of Deuteronomy. And so there we're going to find actually four reasons. Okay, no, no activity here. It says it's on. Oh, okay, good. Four reasons why God leads us into the wilderness. And the first one is simply to humble us. great. God cannot really use us until he allows us to be broken. I could just, you know, spend a long time talking about this. Think about it. Jesus... He had to break the bread. His body had to be broken. You know, there's just so many analogies in the Bible of brokenness and what happens as a result of brokenness in our lives. But let's take a look here uh, at this picture found in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. I want you to turn to that chapter. There's Bibles around you. So just grab one. I'm going to have you keep looking at this chapter. There's four reasons why the wilderness. Number Verse 2 says, Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way into the desert these 40 years to humble you. Now, I'm going to just say something about the De- book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is after Moses' uh, ministry with the Israelites. This is actually his closing sermon. It's a very long sermon. If you think I'm long-winded, well, I read the book of Deuteronomy. Moses is really waxing eloquent. <clears throat> it's, it's his final message. you know. And so he's, he's recap, uh, recapitulating. He's going over what they've experienced in the past 40 years. And so he's reminding this new generation as they're about to go into the promised land. He says, listen, I want you to remember this. Remember. How God led you all the way in this desert, these 40 years, reason number one, to humble you. Do we have to be humbled? Yeah, I think we do. You know, the wilderness is a place of need. Everybody knows that, right? How many know there's scarcity in the wilderness? There's not a, it, this is not a place of abundance, this is a place of lack. You know, in the wilderness, miracles are actually needed, I mean, you think of Elijah, remember there was a famine in the land, he's in the wilderness, there's no food, and so he's sitting by the brook, Sherath, and all of a sudden, a raven flies in with food. How many know that's a miracle? You know, raven delivering food to the man of God. You know, ravens do the opposite. You know, God has actually contravened the very nature of this, these ravens bringing food in to Elijah, God has to supernaturally provide in the wilderness. Isn't it an amazing thing that God fed between two and three million people food for 40 solid years in the wilderness? Now, there was a few times they got upset about that food. You know, but how many know manna is better than nothing? It sustained them. It was actually called angel food. You know. They were, they were upset. You know. They wanted meat. And we, I talked about that on another day and we won't go there. But here we have this Attitude where, you know, our abilities and our confidence in ourselves is eroded. How many here can honestly say you've personally gone through an experience where your personal confidence in yourself was eroded? Okay, that's good. The rest of you, I hate to tell you this, (laughs) be prepared. You will have that experience where you will feel like, what good am I? You know, like, what can I really contribute? You know, uh, and, and it's a very humbling experience. And, you know, you know I, let me just say it for, in my own life, you know, when I was here for the first 10 years, it seemed like everything we did worked. And I went to Seattle and everything I did didn't work. I, I just went, you know, it's like, and then God showed me, you know all that stuff that you were doing the first 10 years? That wasn't you, that was me. This is what you're really like. <laughs> I go, boy, that's, that's really a bummer, God. <laughs> This is really humbling. I mean, really? Yeah. I was I was I was doing it over there. I'm just showing you what you're really like. I go, oh, this is awful, God. Can I quit now? <laughs> you know. No, you can't quit. You know, my lowest point, you know. And and I had a great experience with God. So you know, God meets us in the wilderness. That's the nice part. And the wilderness is a place where God is glorified because of his miraculous provisions. We've talked about the manna. But just think about the Israelites. Now, they're, they're coming into the wilderness. There's an, an Egyptian army. The finest army in the world are chasing them. And, you know, God has been leading them. And where does God lead them? Right into a dead end. How many have ever had God do that to you? Lead you into a dead end. Anybody else have that experience? Any dead-end experiences with you? Okay, the rest of you, I hate to tell you this, uh, you're going to experience a dead-end experience. And you're going to be standing there going, there's nowhere to go. And you know what? I've been led of God. God has brought me here. And we know what happens in the story, right? God brings them, and then all of a sudden the people are like, panic. I mean, they're complaining, they're upset. They said, we could have, hey, we should have just stayed in slavery. We should have just, you know, being a Christian is hard. Ever, anybody ever said that? You know, being a Christian is difficult sometimes. You know, it was a lot easier when I didn't, you know, know right from wrong and I didn't feel bad about it. Now that I'm saved, I'm wrecked. You know, I can't enjoy sin anymore. You know, because I'm living with conviction and, you know, guilt and all that stuff, right? Some people say, I never want to be a Christian, I just want to be, you know, blissfully ignorant, you know. I but you never are, you always suffer in that state. But you know, they get to this dead end, and all of a sudden, Moses, what does Moses say to the Israelites? I love his classic line, because they're hollering, and he answers the people, he says, Do not be afraid. Obviously, they were afraid. You don't say that to somebody unless they are, right? Should they have been afraid? Well, humanly speaking, it didn't look good. You know, they knew they weren't going to defeat the finest army. They had just been let out of slavery. Then he says this, stand firm. You know, what do most of us want to do when we're in a panicky state? Run! Run! But these guys couldn't run anywhere because they were in a dead-end situation. The water was before them, mountains beside them. Stand still and you will see the deliverance of the Lord who will bring you today. And the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. God says, the reason why I brought you here is I want to demonstrate my power. The reason why I brought you to the end of yourself was so that I could reveal myself. In your situation. How many have ever come to the place in your life where you said, I need a miracle, God? Anybody been there? You know, a lot of us say, I'd like to have a miracle. I never say that because what that means is I need it. Right? 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 But when you're in that desperate place, when you really do need a miracle, and God comes through and provides, and he literally, he parted the Red Sea. It was amazing what happened. The Lord's, the, Moses goes on and says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. How many know being still is the hardest thing in the world when everything is against you? You feel like you've got to do something. Isn't that true? You're going, what should I do? And God says, nothing. You're going, yeah, but I'm dying, God. I'm just, you know, trying to deal with all these anxieties and frustrations. Everything is going on on the inside, and God is saying, would you stop it? Let me do it. Yeah, but how can I help you, God? God says, that's the problem. You'll make it worse. Don't do anything. I'm about to do something. I want you to be still. How many know it takes a lot of faith to trust God and be still? It really does, doesn't it? Because we want to fix things. We want to do it. Oh, to be still. Ah, oh, what a powerful lesson we're learning in this situation. You know, the wilderness is the place where we learn to let God fight our battles for us. You know, how many know it's humbling to depend on other people? You ever been in a place where you really had need and you needed others to help you, and you couldn't do it, and you had to go ask them? How many go. That is a humbling experience. Isn't it hard? Anybody else ever had to do that? I've been there. You feel like a little beggar, you know? I don't deserve this, but I gotta go ask, you know? It's humbling. It makes me, it, it's really crushing what? Pride. It's causing us to be dependent on each other. You know, one of the great weaknesses in the North American church is that we're very blessed in so many ways, but it's also a weakness because we don't see our need for each other. You know, as I get older, I recognize we, we're we so interdependent, so needy. We need one another to encourage each other, comfort one another, to sustain each other, to build each other up. You know, we... You know, we, we just really do need each other. And until you come to that place where you actually are in need of other people. But a lot of us think, well, I can just do it all by myself. And then God brings you to the end of yourself. Wow, is that a powerful place. The wilderness addresses our Pride. The problem with pride is that it creates a false sense of security. Pride means we forget our weaknesses, we forget our need of others. Above all it means we forget our need for God. And Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 12 to 14 actually points out the dangers when we're living in a time of great prosperity and blessing. Listen to what it says in Deuteronomy 8:12. Otherwise when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fi- fine houses and settle down. See God's talking to them about I'm going to really bless you. I'm bringing you into the promised land. I'm going to give you what others have labored for. But he says, just now, listen. There's a danger here. Here's the danger. The danger in the blessing. You know, all of us want to be blessed. I want to be blessed. How many want to be blessed? Of course we want to be blessed. But here's the danger inside the blessing. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, it's not just added, it just seems like everywhere you turn, everything is going good, then your heart will become proud. That's the problem. There's always that temptation to start trusting the blessing rather than the blesser. And it says, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Is that powerful or what? Pride is actually self-worship. Notice the words you and yours. It creates an absence of God. God is forgotten. He's no longer needed. Self is deified, it's expressed in self reliance. It's interesting. Some of you may know that uh, there was a priest in the Middle Ages before the Reformation. His name was Savonarola. Some of you probably know who this guy is. A great preacher in the 15th century. One day he saw an elderly woman worshiping at the statue of Mary. Okay? And so he, he kept watching this. She'd come to the cathedral. And she'd worship at the statue. And uh, he was observing this every single day. And finally he said to one of the other priests, he goes, wow, this woman is really devoted to that statue and that particular one. And he said, well, don't be deceived by what you see, he said. Many years ago, an artist was commissioned to create a statue for the cathedral. And he sought a young woman to pose as the model for the statue. And so... He was looking for this perfect subject, you know, one that was young, serenely lovely, and had a mystical quality in her face. And the image of that young woman inspired his statue. And the woman who now worships at that statue is the same one who served as its model. Interesting. You see? And she says he's been coming here and worshiping ever since. And we can actually worship at the statue we've erected of ourselves and be totally consumed with ourselves. What a dangerous place it is. You know, Tony Campola said, Pride is arrogant self-worship. It is the sin of exalting oneself and placing one's own interests above the interests of others. Pride craves admiration and even adoration and will not share the limelight. Pride it deludes the victims into believing that they have no peers and, and drives them to try to destroy anyone who takes recognition away from them. The prouder in love with themselves and seek to call attention to their admirable qualities. Wow. Scary stuff, folks. You know, think about it. Pride was the initial sin that caused great havoc. Remember, it was this angel, Lucifer, who was filled with pride, you know, wanted to be worshipped as God. You know, pride is a very deadly quality. As a matter of fact, when you read Romans chapter 1, you know, thinking themselves to be wise, the Bible says they became fools. They abandoned the worship of the true and the living God and began to worship things that were made by God. They began to worship, first of all, man himself. You know. By the way, this is what we worship today. If you don't know that, we're humanists. We worship humanity. We worship ourselves. We've cut God out of the picture. You know? We're enamored with ourselves. We're enamored with our technology. We're enamored with our discoveries. We think man has arrived. We've made ourselves wise. And God looks down and goes, oh, how foolish you guys really are. That's where we're living. That's the moment. And some people are worshiping other things as well. Scary stuff. You know, Peter learned this the painful way. Remember what Peter? Jesus said, Peter, I've been praying for you. Why, Jesus? Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. And you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. Peter says, listen, Jesus, I know these other crumps that are in the gang here, you know, this motley crew you've chosen, but I'm your man. They'll let you down, but I'll be there for you. And I think Peter had every intention to be that man. You can read about it in the garden scene, you know, when he takes out his sword and slices off that high priest's servant's ear. I mean, he was ready to defend Jesus, but it wasn't but a few hours later when a little girl came up to him, little maiden, and said, hey, aren't you one of those Galileans? Aren't you a follower of Jesus? He goes, I've never met this guy. I don't even know who he is. How many know how great we can fall? And I'll tell you, once you've fallen, it's, it's a, you really hit hard. And Peter now, writing as an older saint, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with what? Humility, which means not relying on yourself. I'm going to help define it. Non-dependency. It's not putting yourself down. It's just not depending on yourself. You know that you're not, you're not dependable. You know what? We all can let God down. How many here probably have let God down a time or two? We probably should have said a few things we did and we probably should shouldn't have said a few things we did, right? We've kind of let God down a few times. I don't think Peter's the only guy that's done this. You know, he says, "We should clothe ourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble." I don't know. I don't want God opposing me. I want to be on God's team. I don't want to be on the other team. That's not a good place to be. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. In other words, he's telling you to be still. Trust God. Isn't that what he's saying? He's saying, don't take it in your own hands. Don't depend on yourself. Depend on God. But let me move on to the second point, point. and it's simply to test us. The wilderness is the crucible that brings out the issues of our heart. You don't know who you really are until you're tested. That's the truth. You and I think we know ourselves until the test comes. And you know, the test can do one of two things. Tests can show what you actually have, and you go, wow, I'm surprised I passed the test. And other times you have the test, you go, wow, I didn't realize I was doing so poorly. The test reveals that, that that moment, it's a picture of your soul. It's, it's showing you what you're, what's really going on inside of you. You know, if a pressure comes and a problem comes and the difficulties come and we're caving in like an accordion, you know, we're just falling apart and we're losing our cool and getting upset and, you know, blowing smoke and, you know, all that nonsense that people can do, that's not a good sign. That's not showing that, boy, I really trust God. Right? Look at verse eight again, uh, chapter 8, verse 2. It says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. How many go, God already knows what's in my heart? Yeah, but do you? See, you and I don't. We think we do. The test reveals the true condition of our soul. Whether or not you would keep his commands. You know, how many know anyone can profess a belief in God, but the wilderness is the, is the crucible? Are we committed to doing God's will or not? The wilderness experiences will come to test our allegiances and our loyalty to the person of Christ. It really is the love test. This test is given in the context of obedience. You know, do you know what Jesus said: "If you love me, you will obey what I command." You know, a lot of people say, oh, "I really love God," and then they're sinning like Trojans. You know, going, "What is this?" You know, you're just saying words. I know when people love God is when they, do, when they you know, submit to God's will, do God's word, obey God. Yeah, but I don't want to. It doesn't, you know, it's not what I want to do right now. I go, hey, do you love God or don't you love God? It comes down to that. It's a test, right? How many remember reading the first temptation in the Garden of Eden? You'll notice the serpent's cunning as he challenged Eve with the words. Has God really said that? The temptation is to disobey God's word, which is God's will. H.B. London, cousin of James Dobson, who was on staff at Focus on the Family, and he's, you know, he works with hurting pastors, he said this, arrogance, because he was talking about how, how do pastors fall. He said, arrogance is the sense that the rules apply to everyone else except ourselves. Okay? The temptation is to think that somehow we're exempt from God's word, or somehow we're exempt from what everybody else is under Do you know why the government gets arrogant? I'm going to say something. Because they create rules they don't follow. That's the problem. See, we have rules in our church. We have actually policies. I go, if that rule applies to Jim and Debbie, it applies to me. I'm not exempt from the rule. Does that make sense? Does everybody follow what I'm saying? I believe that. If, I make, if I'm the exemption because I'm the pastor, that's a bad thing. That's dangerous ground. We need to understand that. Um, and that's how people fall. Wildernesses are places where obedience to his will is tested. Will we return to e- Egypt? Will we complain? Will we panic? Will we give in to temptation? If there's no option to obey or disobey, then you have no opportunity to express love to God. Somebody goes, Why does God allow temptation? Well, first of all, I think it's what's tempting you. It may not be tempting someone else. So it's something inside of you. But now you have an option either to demonstrate your love to God or you, or you don't demonstrate your love to God. It's that simple. You know, you go, You can't make it that simple, Pastor. I am making it that simple. That's our problem. We're trying to, you know, we try to use these wonderfully elaborate justifications for disobeying God. And it gets us into trouble. Now, how did Jesus overcome in the wilderness? He not only quoted the scripture, I like this, he submitted to them. You know, some of us, you know, you're, you're, you're teaching in Sunday school, you're telling these young people, listen, you know, the way to overcome temptation is to know the Bible. That's only part one. Let me, and I think a lot of Christians stop there too. Here it comes. You gotta do part two. What's part two, pastor? You can't just know them, you gotta do them. Okay? Yeah, you have to submit to his word which is submitting to god's will which is always the way to victory in the wilderness you know g Campbell morgan says the silence of the enemy after the reply of the lord was a clear confession of his defeat and a remarkable proof that he's unable to gain advantage over those who are content to abide at whatever the cost in the will of god See, if you and I just make up our mind, I don't really care how I feel about it. I don't care what this is going to cost me. I'm just going to do what God wants me to do. Even though everything inside of me is screaming, I want to do the other thing. If I'm going to just obey God, I'm going to overcome temptation. It's very powerful. Okay, let me move on to the third thing we learn. Not only to humble us, us, uh, test us, but also to teach us. I love this. You know, How many know you've heard the old expression, they're going to have to learn the hard way? Anybody ever said that? What are we saying? They're not listening. They're not obeying. Therefore, they're going to do their own thing, and they're going to learn the hard way. You know, unfortunately for us, experience teaches us things that words of instruction alone sometimes fail to express their value until we discover it through failure. Isn't that true? How many here can say, you know, I used to think this, and then i disregarded this and then i experienced failure hurt and heartache and now from experience i know you better do that anybody have anybody learned the hard way come on i'm not the only. oh my goodness you know you guys are so saintly today about half the group are either sleeping or total saints you haven't moved your arms whatsoever you know i'm amazed at you guys You know, how come I'm up here going, failed, failed, failed. That's why you're the pastor. (laughs) You have to learn the lessons, pastor, the hard way, right? Uh, Let's read verse 3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone. But on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. How many know it's in the wilderness that we actually get our priorities straight? We get, the, we get them straightened out there. This was the first test in the wilderness. Jesus was hungry. He had fasted 40 days. Oh, this is real hunger. Most of us, you know, we, we, we feel hungry. But this is actual hunger. So he's actually hungry and there's stones there and the devil comes along and says, hey, why don't you just turn those stones into bread? How many think Jesus probably could have made those stones turn into bread? Yeah, no problem for him. But what does he say? He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. What was Jesus basically saying? You have to have the right priority. Here's the right priority. You gotta put the spiritual things ahead of the physical, natural, materialistic world. If you don't do that, you're going to get in trouble. And that's the problem with a lot of people. They go, well, pastor, you know, we got to eat. And I'm going, yeah, so? What's that got to do with anything? Yeah, God's going to take care of you. I haven't seen too many Canadians famishing, you know. I'm serious. I, you're going, you're just a tough character today pastor what's the deal you know i'm just telling you you got to have the right priority you know the test is to place the temporal material world over the eternal spiritual world is not true and in placing the earthly kingdom above god's kingdom sometimes god's going to test you on principle I'm going to shock you. I remember one time I was cooking in a restaurant. This is a long time ago. And I was teaching Sunday school on Sundays. I was working in a native reserve. And I couldn't find a job. And I could have gotten this job. All I had to do was work seven Sundays in a year. I was in Seattle. And the seven Sundays happened to be the home games for the Seattle Seahawks. And needed somebody to cook on those Sundays. I go, I don't want the job. I don't want to not be teaching that class. Then at work. You go, Pastor, really? You got like that? I said, yeah. Here's another situation. See, all of these things are tests. Patty and I are poor Bible school students. She's got no family. I've got no financial help. We have no money. You know, somebody in the church is upset with that congregation. They decide, you know, they invite us over and they want to give their tithe to us Bible school students rather than to the church. You know what I said? We can't take it. It's God's money. Those are all tests. How many catch on? See, God is going to bring things into your life where you will be tested. And God wants to know, can he trust you? Maybe you need to know, can you trust you? Is that powerful? Those are important moments. Those are little signposts. You know, a lot of people that were training to be a Bible college, they never went into ministry. I wonder how many little tests they flunked. They thought they were little things that really didn't matter to anything. But all the little things in life add up to the big things, folks. God says, if I can't trust you in the little, how can I trust you in the big things? And by the way, trusting people in money's penis compared to trusting people, their souls. That's a far higher responsibility. Being a parent is a great calling, but it's a great responsibility. Can God trust you? Hmm, interesting question, huh? You know what? The wilderness is to teach us we don't live by bread alone. As a matter of fact, we discover in the difficult and devastating places of our lives that if it take, it takes more than what our society has to offer to live a fulfilling life. How many know that's true? We had an interesting I was at class on Friday at seminary and we <laughs> this is so bizarre. We played Monopoly with totally different rules. And yeah, some of us were at total deficiency. We didn't get enough money. All the rules were changed. But another person got twice the money, paid half the goods, basically it was showing you the inequalities of life and how people felt about how life has turned out for them. is that amazing? You know what he found? The one person that was making it all so easy eventually began to despise what they had. They began to lose a sense of excitement in the game because there was no excitement. Everything came their way. They were actually getting bored with the game. Just like the very highly wealthy people are bored with life because what happens is they lose meaning. Folks, meaning is one of the most important commodities in this life. You need, I need to understand that we need to have meaning to, in order to live this life effectively and fruitfully. And once you have a, a sense of divine purpose, that like God is actually called you to do something, you know what, it doesn't matter then, you know, a lot of other things. You're saying, I am doing what God wants me to do. That's the most important thing. Wow. Do you know what's in the wilderness? Oh, let me just quote this. This is my life's verse right here, Matthew 6, 33. You know, we need to put God first in his kingdom, and then all the other things, food and clothing, they'll all come our way. God will provide. Don't worry about that stuff. Okay, it's in the wilderness that God triumphs over our enemies. I love that. Do you know what I love about Psalm 23? One of my favorite psalms. It says, I will provide a table for you in where? In the presence of your enemies. I'll provide for you. I will provide in the wilderness. I will provide in the difficulty. Even if I have to bring in ravens to feed you. Sometimes I've called God up on these things. I said, hey God, this is what your word says. And you know what? God has never let me down. He's never let me down. Didn't come on my timetable. Came on his timetable. But I can honestly say God has been faithful. You know, some of you are older than me. Would you say God's faithful? Yeah. Absolutely. He's a faithful God. If you're a young person, listen to me now. God will be faithful to you. You put God first in your life, you will never, ever regret that decision. I can guarantee you, God will be faithful to you. You be faithful to God, God will be faithful to you. You need to put that in your, in your heart and mind. Well, I want, I'm going to move on. Uh, we can, I'm going to skip over some stuff. Is that okay? I can do this. I want to get to this little secondary point, but it's not the secondary point. It's I think one of the focal points of the whole thing. The ultimate reason for the wilderness is to teach us to worship. Do you know what it says here? Remember when God was uh, speaking to Moses? What did God say to Moses at the burning, the bush that wasn't being consumed? Right? It's illuminated. It's on fire. The Lord saw that he had gone over to look. God called him within the bush. Moses, Moses, Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals. For the place where you're standing is holy ground. In other words, this is a place that's, you know, God is here. It's a sacred place. It's a set-apart place. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then I skipped down a bunch of verses. <clears throat> Exodus 7. 16, then said to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, what was God sending Moses to do? To deliver his people. That's good. Why? See, we've got to ask the better question. Life is about asking the right questions. So that they may, what? Worship me in the desert. But until now, you've not listened. God leads us into the wilderness experiences of our lives so that we can become worshipers. Write that down. That's the great lesson. What do you mean I'm going to learn to be a worshiper? We're not talking about coming here and raising your hands, singing a few songs, hearing a sermon. Worshiping means that I get to know God. And how many here in this room, you, said, you can say to me, Pastor, I've gotten to know God more in the dark, in the difficult, and the distressing places of my life. I have gotten to know God more in, in, in the times that have been absolutely the worst moments in my life, and yet God has become more real to me in those moments. How many can say, that's me. That's why you're in the wilderness, so that you can worship God. They had to get into the wilderness in order to connect with God because, you know what, we're so distracted by the good life, it's keeping us from God, which is the best life. And sometimes God strips us of these earthly things in order for us to connect with that which is the heavenly stuff. And we walk around going, I'm a new person. I see life totally differently. I have a whole different set of priorities. I have a whole different set of values. You know, I I now appreciate things totally differently. Usually you don't appreciate things till you lose them. Yeah, it's the way it usually works. Remember when he gets, you know, that's actually Exodus seven sixteen was when Moses was talking to Pharaoh. This is God talking to Moses. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses says, listen, the reason we've got to leave here is we've got to worship God. It's about worship, folks. What a beautiful point. Let me... Uh, Think about the temptation in Matthew's gospel. What's what's one of the temptations? It's interesting that when Jesus was in his wilderness experience, the issue of worship arose. The devil promised to give the kingdoms of this world if Jesus would only worship him. Remember that? Well, I'll give it to you. Matthew 4, 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. How many people has he made that offer to? How many people has Satan actually made that offer to in this world today even? A lot of people. And boy, some of the offers have been absolutely amazing. And Jesus said to him, away from me. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You cannot serve the world and God. You can't do it. It's impossible. And you know what? One of the reasons why I think the church in North America struggles struggled so much, it's been trying to do both. It's getting real quiet in here. We've been trying to do both. No amens? It's gotten very, very quiet. What did Jesus said? No, serve God only. You know, I've thought a lot about this over the years as a pastor. I've been a pastor for over 30 years. You know, I've said to myself, what is gonna change our world is not everybody in red you becoming a Christian. That's how I used to think. You know what's gonna change our world? I'm gonna close with this. Didn't get to my fourth point, but that's okay. What's gonna change our world is simply this. When we have people who say, I will serve the Lord only. I want you to think about the 12 men that followed Jesus. One of them betrayed him, but the other 11, and most of what happened afterwards, we don't even know. Most of them weren't superstars, and most of them, you know, we don't know a lot about what they did, but we do know this, those 11 men changed the world. It doesn't take a lot of people to change the world, folks. It just takes people who are totally committed to Christ and are serving God only. Let's stand. I want to ask the question today how many here say pastor I'm in a wilderness that's you just raise your hand I'm in a wilderness just keep them up I'm going to pray for you today how many here say you know what this has helped me understand why I'm in the wilderness anybody get that did you guys understand something how many have learned something today i now understand why I'm in the wilderness has that been helpful How many go, you know what, I'm going to stop barking and complaining and, you know, upset with God and saying, you know, you don't know what you're doing, God, and why me, God, and why are you doing this to me? Why are you making my life so difficult, right? You know why I think God's stripping Canada? He's doing us a great favor. He's bringing us back to himself. He's bringing us into a wilderness. I'm trying to prepare you. There's gonna come temptations in this wilderness. You thought you had temptations before. You're gonna to have to, you had temptations in the prosperity because you could forget God, but in the wilderness now, the devil comes back and says, hey, I can give you all what you just lost if you'll just do it my way, you know? Like Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. But what I'm saying today is you need to do it his way, God's way, right? And if you will be that kind of a person, God's going to use you. But before He can really use you, you know, He has to break you. How many know that? That's the way He works. Before Jesus became the Savior of the world, His body was broken. No broken body of Jesus, no Savior of the world. How many see that? You go, I don't like this, Pastor. Why does God have to break me? because we're full of ourselves and we're trusting in ourselves, and in our abilities. And until God breaks you and shows you, you have nothing to offer apart from God. See, our culture spent all this time educating all of our young people that they are hot stuff and they've got their act together. And how many know it's just a pure lie? It is. What we need to begin to realize is I have nothing and apart from Christ, I can do nothing. And when I come to the end of myself, then, and I say, God, I acknowledge I need you. Boy, I had such an experience. I was in Atlanta, Georgia, weeping. And I, you know what? And I don't cry a lot, but I was broken. Patty's seen me like this a few times. Very few. Absolutely broken before God. 44,000 ministers of the gospel are there. It's a very powerful experience in my life. You know, I've had amazing encounters with God. I knelt down, and I said, okay, God, here's the deal. I'm your man. If I have to preach to one person, hundreds of people, thousands of people, it doesn't matter anymore. It's not the issue anymore. I've got it in my mind now. I'm your man. I will only say what you want me to say, even if it costs me. You know, some people say, you know, Pastor, if you wouldn't say some things, you probably could have a lot more people in your church. Yeah, but I'm going to stand before Jesus, and some of those people are going to be in big-time trouble because they led people astray. I'm going to give you the straight goods, the Word of God. That's it. That's it. Word of the Lord. Why am I saying that? I had to be broken. God had to break me. He had to humble me. And I needed it. And He did it. And today I can look back and go, that was that hurt. But that's a good hurt. And then why does God bring the wilderness? So He can test us and teach us. But here's the last point. I'm going to tell you what it is. I won't develop it. So He can bless you. The blessing comes after the brokenness and the tests and, the, and you learn it and then the blessings come. How many here say, could you pray with me pastor? I want God to really use my life. I want God to really work powerfully inside of my soul. I want to pass God's school. I want to graduate from the school of Jesus a lot of schools you can go to, but I want to graduate from that school, and I don't want to flunk. I want to pass it. Amen? Amen. How many that's you today? Just raise your hand. Okay, all over the auditorium. Lord, I just thank you this morning. Wow. We've just heard why you bring the wilderness experiences into our lives. Lord, help us, oh God, to walk in humility before you. Help us, oh God, Lord, to face these tests and not to fail. Help us, oh God, to trust you. Help us to have the right priorities in our life. Lord, help us, oh God, to be your children that will make a difference in our broken world, Father. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.